Founder, we're on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education and on the way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're working with our students in the community who are deep within the process of building their own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow who have stood where you are and on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of the stories we're about to share. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. With that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Molly here, I'm Founders Community Manager, and welcome back to the series From Zero to Founder. Today I'm sitting down with Sarah, who's one of our Start and Scale students, who has managed to launch her own completely vegan and reef-safe sunscreen brand called Palm and Pine. She has so much wisdom and so much experience, and I'm really excited to speak with her today, so let's just jump straight into it. Hi Sarah, welcome. Why not start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about your brand. Hi Molly, thanks for having me on the podcast. My name is Sarah Muir. I'm the founder of Palm and Pine Skincare. Um, it was an idea that came to us three years ago, um, but prior to that, I was working in digital marketing consult as a digital marketing consultant and project manager, um, which took me into the kind of corporate agency world for a couple of years. And um, during that time, I had a really long commute um, to work, and I, it was then I discovered Nathan. Chan and the founder podcast and so every day I'd listen to that during my journey and it kind of just um, triggered this like entrepreneurial feeling within me I'd done my own kind of projects before that um, but listening to it just um, yeah kind of really fired that up so um, not long after that I landed what I thought was my dream job um, great salary opportunity to relocate to Portugal and um, to Lisbon so I thought, I thought that was like that was kind of like the ultimate career goal but then I realized that this feeling wasn't kind of going away anywhere and um, this entrepreneurial feeling the kind of desire to build my own project so um, I decided to build my own dream instead of um, building someone else's so um, I resigned from my job and I took some time to decide what it was I wanted to create and because I come from digital marketing and I had a business degree already I decided to focus on developing my advertising skills, my Facebook advertising skills, and got into the world of e-commerce. Um, so I started dabbling with um, drop shipping. I was selling dog clothes for a while, <laughs> um, just learning to do the Facebook advertising, but it didn't really sit with my um, concerns about sustainability. And it felt like it was kind of driving like um, consumerism for like products that really didn't matter and um, like plastic waste with a lot of the kind of products I was trying to drop, drop ship just got me thinking is this really what I want to do but at the same time I was developing some really important um, additional digital marketing skills and at this time as I say we're living in Portugal really sunny I'm from Scotland as you can probably hear I've got really pale skin <laughs> um, so we started experimenting with different sunscreens and my husband found out about the ingredients and a lot of the sunscreens just aren't so great for your skin, for your system. So he actually Googled um, uh, how to make sunscreen at home. And so he started making his first batch in the kitchen and then testing it on me. <laughs> and uh, fortunately it worked, I didn't get burnt. Um, but he then decided he wanted to sell the sunscreen. And I thought, well, we can't just go ahead and make sunscreen and sell it. So I started to um, research 
different brands, what was available, what was kind of missing on the market and I actually started to see an opportunity. So right at the same time that I was kind of looking for a new career opportunity, I started to see the opportunity to make this product. Yeah, wow, that's such an inspiring story. And I really loved how you mentioned that you wanted to build your own dream, not someone else's, because I feel like that's very prominent across a lot of entrepreneurs or people that are even thinking about maybe stepping away from their original nine to five job. And it does take courage. So I do commend you on that to just try (laughs) something new. But even your origin story of how it was made, it's just so incredible to know that you and your husband had this idea together and you're just making batches in your kitchen, which is so exciting. From, you know, having the idea to to make your own sunscreen, how did you kind of approach it after you started kind of testing these different sunscreens? Because there are lots of rules and regulations around getting sunscreen made. How did you kind of get your research up to scratch to actually build your own brand? Well, I think because of my background in um, like marketing and business, and as I said, I did have my own um, events project before. When it came to kind of establishing um, like a position and an opportunity, all of that was quite easy for me. Um, I say easy. It was it was a very lengthy pro, um, process. I spent about a year on the kind of research side of it. Um, but obviously, the product side of it. I mean, we chose um, the most complicated <laughs> product really to get into in the cosmetic world because, as you've like just said, it's it's so regulated, and particularly in the EU as well. Um, I know you've got stringent um, regulations in Australia as well, but um, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't an easy one to choose. So at that moment, I knew that I'd have to enlist the support of professionals, basically, like all of the product development. As much as I am um, during the research phase, just established the non-negotiable. So I, I knew that it had to be um, without the chemicals on the naughty list for to make it reef safe. I knew that I wanted it to be vegan. I knew I wanted it to be as natural as it can possibly be, but also be an effective and safe sunscreen product. Um, but as I've listened to other podcasts within the series and other people have spoken about how they had really clear um, uh, um, opinions on which specific ingredients they wanted in their products. I didn't really have that as such me. It was kind of more um, like brand um, brand features that I was kind of and um, sustainability promises that I wanted to make and keep. So that kind of then led me towards specific Um, formulators, for example. So it was really just, I knew that I was going to have to bring in professionals for that part. (laughs) Mm, And I think it's really great being an entrepreneur and also creating those networks and relationships, like you've said, because it can be a lonely road going down it by yourself, but also there are experts out there to help you make it just that little bit easier, even though it is still a massive feat. How did you actually establish the relationships with the right people? Were you just looking online? Were you making connections within the Start and Scale Facebook group? How did you actually find the right people? So when people ask me kind of like what specific skills do you really need to do to do what you've done? Um, I always say you just need to become a master Googler. <laughs> you need to become really, really good at Googling. Um, and so really, I just kind of um, set out looking for and during the process, you have to kind of get to know a lot of new terms as well. So I had to learn what contract manufacturing was, what private label was, what white label was. And just during the kind of um, the process of sourcing manufacturers you you learn a lot during the process but actually I mean um, a part that I didn't uh, mention during the the first part when you asked me about the origin of the product we actually crowdfunded this product um, project as well and so um, there was like an extra layer of pressure um, on the entire process so prior to um, um, 
producing to manufacturing uh, we had actually sourced what we thought was our ideal manufacturer everything was fine and we were actually going to launch with white label products so we we're going to license their formulations and launch a brand and then in time use the revenue from that to develop our own skus um, which seemed like a, a cost-effective way of kind of testing you know testing the concept beyond the crowdfunding and so we thought we found our perfect manufacturer and we were due to launch march 2020 and um, I happened to make a random contact with a woman who is a formulations expert. She'd worked for Boots the Chemist in the UK. She worked for, I think even L'Oreal, like some big, some big brands. And she said, do you want me to just check over your formulation, check over the ingredients? And it was literally the ingredients list. And she said, I'm sorry to say, but this is just inadequate. This doesn't have like um, the correct preservation profile to um, to kind of uh, guarantee that microbacteria aren't gonna develop in the products, of course worst news ever <laughs> and on the 11th hour we had to actually fire the manufacturer so right at the point where we we're supposed to launch the project um, the project yeah we had to fire the manufacturer so from that i learned that people can have no two formulated formulators are are made equal it's like hairdressers you're going to go to a hairdresser who does the most fabulous job you're going to go to one who can cut hair but isn't so great at it um, so in this process, I, I learned a lot um, about you can't just trust what you see on a website. And it sounds like really obvious now, but when you're, when you're in the thick of a process and you're speaking to people who you um, believe are the experts in their part of the business, it's really hard to kind of know, you know, uh, yeah, what could go wrong, imagine what could go wrong. So how I dealt with the situation was I then employed someone who acted as like a third party um, advisor to me, a technical advisor. So he came in and helped me do the due diligence and select a very quickly in five weeks, a new manufacturer to get the project going again. And fortunately we found an incredible formulator in Cyprus who specialized in um, sunscreen. And we then developed two original formulations. So there are very own um, SKUs. We can um, control all the intellectual property on it. So yeah, it was a, a process to say the least. <laughs> a process indeed. And I think it's great because, you know, out of something negative that could have maybe derailed someone, you actually turned into a positive having your own formulation and making those connections and those contacts. So that's also a great thing to come out of it. But I think it's also great that you highlighted, you know, your your lows as well as your highs because as you, we spoke about before actually filming this episode, you said you love the honest like experience of being an entrepreneur because that's all it, all it is about. And you briefly touched upon, which is so incredible just as Kim passed, but you actually crowdfunded this whole company business project idea. Do you want to talk me through more of the crowdfunding experience that you had and how much you raised and, and what that process looked like for anyone that might be listening and thinking about doing the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, the most, the biggest thing that we took from crowdfunding, and I think the, the biggest advantage to it is that you get to test the concept. So, you know, the idea of validation that Greta talks about um, and emphasizes during the start and skill course, um, it's almost like that on a grand scale, because if you can get someone to hand over money to, um, to fund an idea before it's even a product, then that is kind of, yeah, that's your validation right there. So we were able to raise, I think it's about the equivalent of 35,000 Australian dollars, about 22,000 euros, um, which kind of was like the minimum that we needed to get the project started really at the time. <laughs> it's since gone way over that, but um, yeah. And the whole process was, it's, it's, 
number one, you can validate your concept through it, but you can also gain so many insights in terms of what people actually want. So you set out on the journey thinking, okay, well, this is what we imagine people want. This is based on my needs. This is based on what I want within, within my sunscreen products. And like, you know, ref, referring back to the opportunity that I identified with um, the benchmarking and research. But all of that becomes more kind of confirmed during the process and during the um, crowdfunding, developing the campaign, the video, the um, building the email list, building the Instagram community. Um, I also um, set up a Facebook group and I called it the Palm and Pine launch team. And I have to say, this also was an incredible tool for gaining that validation and that feedback. And actually during the development process, having having um, real life insights from people, being able to use polls and opinions and really onboarding people with the development process. So with the crowdfunding and then the Facebook group, I had, I think I had about 85 of my closest network within it. It gave me um, like a testing, <laughs> a testing group to, to really refine all of my ideas, my brand messaging. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a great view on crowdfunding and also thinking outside the box when it comes to crowdfunding and really using that as, as you mentioned, pre-validation, but also taking that and then having your own private Facebook group is very, very smart. And I think it serves you very well. And I, I know as a community manager, how strong community is and, and having that relationship to those customers is very important, which I think you've done brilliantly. And you touched upon, um, you know, earlier on when we were speaking about, you know, you really want to push sustainability, it being vegan friendly, reef safe is such a, a, a prominent thing that a lot of sunscreens, traditional sunscreens don't have. How did you go about actually creating these products to be reef safe and sustainable? What did you have to remove? Was it just chemicals or was there a longer process to it? It's relatively easy in that sense because there are there are definite ingredients that are definitely not vegan so a lot of the kind of um like collagen based products for example um are and some of the colors within products as well like the red and lipstick they they're animal derived so that's quite easy because you can just say i want it to be 100 vegan and then if you have a good formulator they'll immediately know the substitutions that they have to make so for example our spf 50 product um that was targeted towards surfers originally because my husband's a surfer and the town we live in i think apparently it's very much like byron bay changu it's kind of a very small very cool surf community and um so surfing's huge there and um the, the product was originally designed with surfers in mind and the base um, of that product is usually beeswax but we substituted it for um sunflower wax actually so it's completely plant-based um, and then in terms of being reef safe, there are definite um, ingredients, uh, UV filters that can't be included in the product as well. So, um, and because we didn't want to use any synthetic UV filters, we wanted to go for mineral base. They're actually, they're, they're in the clear. They're not on the kind of naughty list of reef safe, uh, of reef um, damaging UV filters. So we used uh, zinc oxide and some titanium dioxide as well. So, um, but the biggest challenge I would say came from the packaging. Um, and it will continue to be a challenge until we have better, truly sustainable options available. So um, we had the chance to um, use recycled plastic. We had the chance, opportunity to use sugarcane plastic and bioplastics. Um, glass obviously is a is a is an option, but as Greta again covers in the course, it's not ideal for you know shipping. You have to think about the weight and the damage factor to it. Um, so we actually landed on recycled aluminium because. The whole time I started thinking, well, I want to start a business. I was driven very much from my own kind of personal goals to have my own brand. 
but I, I, I couldn't get my head around creating a brand that would sell plastic in any form because at the end of the day, I can't know what will truly happen at the end of that product life cycle. So I kind of worked back from that because it's one, I'm not perfectly 100% plastic free and I hold my hands up to that. I'm doing my best to make substitutions. And my belief is that if we all make small substitutions in our lives, then we can aim towards having like a grand, you know, macro can impact. Um, but with that in mind, I kind of, I couldn't imagine having a business that sold plastic at volume, basically, even if it was recycled. So we landed on recycled aluminium. And with that, you have the complete plastic free option, but you lose a lot of the convenience that you get from a beautiful squeezy tube. So we have, there are, there are sacrifices there. So we're actually now kind of in this mindset of people who are choosing products like this are actually funding sustainability because these early, early adopters are taking on these products and kind of putting up with the user experience issues and the sacrifice of some convenience you get from the pumps and the sprays and the squeezy tubes. But um, when it comes to recycled aluminium, it's already recycled, it can be recycled. And if the worst came to the worst, if it did end up in a landfill site, the impact is going to be far less than if plastic of any description ends up there. And unfortunately, a lot of the bioplastics actually can't be recycled still. A lot of your local recycling um, plants don't really know what to do with them yet. So if you're going to use plastic, recycled plastic would be in the option, but we kind of wanted to take it one step further um, and go for plastic free. So there are definitely challenges with it. <laughs> that's that's the biggest challenge. So. Hey there, Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. If you're enjoying From Zero to Founder and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep and we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. Your packaging is really unique, and I feel like that's also another selling point. For example, for those listening, your um, SPF 30, believe it or not, your sunscreen is in almost like what looks like a drink bottle type situation with a screw lid. It's beautifully designed. And then your zinc comes in almost like a lip balm container, I guess I would say. Um, so they're very unique. And I feel like that also gravitates people towards purchasing. Were those some decisions you took into account after you realized I had to use recycled aluminium? Were they kind of considered when making your whole design and, and branding and the black and the white? Were they kind of the first thought? And then you're like, okay, how can I make this appealing considering it is something so different? Yeah, I think so. The brand came from like my personal taste. As you can see, Molly, I'm sitting with a black black turtleneck on. I just love monochrome. And I guess now also um, it's it was important for the brand to be almost gender free because it, it has a kind of sports element to it. It has like a, an outdoor lifestyle element to it. So um, it kind of, it was driven from personal taste, the monochrome factor. I wanted it to be clean, slick design, um, kind of gender, like non-gender kind of biased in any way. Um, and also the, the, the existing brands out there just didn't really appeal to me. I mean, like, I love the kind of girly, colorful brands as well for myself, for my own personal taste. 
I think this kind of has perhaps the opportunity to have quite a broad appeal because of this sort of black and white. And having such a, like a strong monochrome um, brand meant that we could really then have fun with the kind of images and the different campaign colors. So we're about to launch some winter marketing, which kind of brings some pop color into it. And then next year, we're going to be doing some more kind of analog, um, cool kind of bohemian sort of. So it allows us to test different um, brand visual messages as well throughout without being too fixed to any kind of one color, for example. Um, so the, that kind of was driven from my own personal taste because a lot of the sustainable products are still quite like hippy dippy kind of fluffy around the edges and just not really appealing to me whatsoever and there was an opportunity to create a really strong sustainable brand I thought something really different um, and then that was quite easy to then apply to our quite like almost industrial packaging actually it's really not your usual kind of soft cosmetic kind of look so yeah again another opportunity to stand out. I think it's incredible and it definitely stands out in your website, which looks absolutely amazing, by the way. And a little thing that I noticed on there is the the meaning behind the name Palm and Pine, which I find really, really smart. And I'll let you explain it so those that are listening because I, I think it's really great and also hones kind of the gender neutral aspect to it as well. Um, but I'd love to also know beyond the name, some of the marketing techniques that you use to launch as well. So we'll touch upon the name first because I think that's really kind of cool. Okay, so the name basically, for me, the biggest challenge with marketing sometimes is having and having enough stories to tell, having enough content to, to, to push out um, enough kind of content pillars, if you like things, subjects that we can talk about. So I thought, well, if we can create a name that even with the name gives us opportunities to kind of then channel out different stories for different people, different audiences, it gives us so many more content opportunities. That's the that's the marketing answer. The other answer, it was actually a tattoo that my husband wanted. <laughs> because we both live now in Portugal, surrounded by palm trees, and we'd actually come from the mountains, um, surrounded by palm, uh, pine trees. So we were living in the French Alps. We're both snowboarders. We both like cycling. And so it was a kind of representation of the two playgrounds where he likes to play, if you like. Um, so he was going to get a tattoo and we we're on the beach one day in Portugal and we'd had some drinks and we we're just, you know, kind of hanging out. And then <laughs> I was like, palm and pine sunscreen, palm and pine skincare, because it just represents two different use cases as well of where you can use the product. So that's the, uh, that's the two answers. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. I loved that. It. It's very ingenious. And like you said, taking your users or your audience, sorry, on a journey is so great because you can go hiking, you can go snowboarding, you can go for the surf, just a day on the beach. I feel like there's so many different ways that people can create connection to your brand as well, which is so smart. And definitely you have experience in marketing. You can definitely tell you're very, very switched on when it comes to that. <laughs> um, but you mentioned earlier also about your Instagram marketing and Facebook marketing. I would love to know more about how you actually approached um, starting your Instagram and building your email list for your brand. So the because we we crowdfunded, um, we already kind of had that gave us the opportunity to sort of build an audience through that. But prior to that, to launch a crowdfunding is is the same as launching a brand. Like for me, it's super important to have have your audience to launch too. So we did spend a lot of time building our Instagram community. Um, I used a tool called Kickoff Labs. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention different specific tools, but it was, um, it has like a viral share factor. So it had like, we created landing pages to sign up to be the first to know when we launch. And then it had a, a viral share factor as well, which really, really um, helped. So we launched um, the business, I think with about three and a half thousand email subscribers. 
Um, and then we already had a community of, we had, it was interesting because we ended up with like two communities really. We had our crowdfunding community who'd been invested since the idea stage of the project. And then we had our Instagram community who'd just come on and not having bought the product, but were interested in the brand and the messages that we were sharing. So then we were kind of doing like a second launch to, to the, this group as well. So um, definitely, I think one of the most important things is to find tools that you can use to, to help grow your email marketing um, email list, for example, effortlessly, because the advantage I would say, I mean, Instagram gave us the opportunity to build a very visual community, obviously visual kind of representation and start to kind of, again, test what, what interests people most within our community based on our assumptions. Is it the yoga? Is it the surfing? Is it the outdoor lifestyle? Is it the skincare aspect of it? Is it the sustainability aspect? But the thing with it, your email list is that you own it. And, you know, you, you guys at Founder have spoken about this before as well. It's like it's an owned asset. So we just recently had to shift our entire like strategy because of the iOS 14 update and what that did to tracking with um, with Facebook ads. So obviously I've been like hanging off Nick Shackelford's every word recently. They go, okay, what do we do? You know, but that, that's your email list isn't affected by this. So I would really emphasize building an email list as early as you can, because these people have elected to, to hear from you there. And I mean, it's, it's interruptive in a sense, because it drops into their, their inbox. So you need to make sure that you're, it's timely and the message is correct. And it's genuinely interesting for them. And they have actually opted into it, but um, for me, it will always kind of, we, we generated quite a lot of revenue from our, our email list because these people were primed and ready to, to hear from us, you know. Mm, it's so insightful. And I know a lot of people listening might be thinking, okay, I can build my list. I've got this. But what advice would you give in terms of creative or um, ideas for emails? Would you, sorry, what ideas would you suggest to those listening about email ideas or copy or discounts and things like that to help push and grow their email list without seeming too spammy? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. Cause um, I think it's interesting. Um, we've, generated higher revenue sometimes from emails that aren't direct sell they're more just a kind of um, link to a blog like seven reasons to wear sunscreen every day or something and we'll find that kind of generates um, more revenue than um, than some of our more kind of direct discount sales emails so um, during the the crowdfunding process I kind of used um, the email as a way to keep our audience engaged. So, I mean, that's quite a unique, that was quite a unique phase. But what I was doing there was we created a, um, a Spotify channel, for example. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, we were supposed to launch March, 2020, but of course that's when the pandemic really hit as well. So there's that whole chapter of the business as well, where we we're just like, we need to keep the audience engaged and interested. So we kind of took the attitude of, it's good to think of it in terms of like use an email to sell, use an email to entertain, use an email um, to educate, for example. That's kind of that's just, you know, off the top of my head right now, but it's really adding value, like giving some kind of value. Um, and so, for example, find with your free courses and, you know, that's giving value for and expecting nothing in return. So we created the Spotify channel and did um, like um, 
uh, like a work from home playlist, for example, to kind of help people when they were sitting working from home. And then we did like a, um, a summer playlist, a yoga playlist if people were doing yoga at home. So things like that. Just think about like, it's really getting to know who your audience are. That's the most important thing. And th- imagining what kind of content they would appreciate, trying to tie it back to your brand, but also kind of thinking outside the box slightly as well. So, and we use it to publish our blogs, for example, and then we can see which blogs get the most interest. And then we can kind of repurpose that content, make a video out of that. And yeah, it's um, just think carefully about what you're sending, but always think from a value perspective. Mm, your Spotify example is so unique. And I love that, you know, thinking outside the box is definitely something that you need to do, especially when you've had those hiccups that you've had when you're meant to launch and now you have to keep people engaged. But speaking about launch, you're meant to do tw- March 2020. When did you actually launch and how did you feel when you were actually so excited to have your own formulated products ready to launch? Well, there's a video on, on our Instagram actually, and it's and part of the video is me lying on the ground with the bot with the, the product in my hands. I think I just fell to the ground when I finally received it because it was like such a long, oh my god, long character building process, I have to say. And that's I mean, I was listening to um another one of your podcasts, and you know, you ask oh, what advice would you give? And mine would be literally buckle up. <laughs> buckle up because it's just what a wild ride. So we eventually, um, we eventually launched in uh, June 2021. So um, between firing the manufacturer in March 20, um, March 2020, it took five weeks to find a new manufacturer. And then because we decided to develop our own formulations, it then, it, I have to say my kind of expectations were mismanaged slightly. We were told it was going to be a matter of like six months, but end to end from starting formulation through to all the SPF testing. And then the delays from COVID as well, because um, it had to go to Greece for one kind of testing. So like the in-lab testing, then it had to go to Italy for on-skin testing. And each country was going through its own cycle of Corona at the time. So factories were closed and then laboratories, uh, it was just, and then the entire global supply chain was impacted as well. So um, we finally got there on June the 6th of this year. Wow. Such an incredible story. I think almost a year later is quite a feat and, you know, staying positive and thinking of ways to, as we mentioned just before, re-engaging your audience and keeping them excited. You did an incredible job because it goes to show with when you actually launched, which I would love for you to share that story of how, you know, uh, Palm and Palm succeeded when you finally launched. And how did it feel when you had that first sale from someone you didn't know come through and hear that cha-ching on Shopify? Because I know that that's a universal, lovely feeling for all of our guests. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. The endorphins are real when you hear that cha-ching. It's like oh, I was I was screenshotting actually the first day. I mean, um, I'll be honest and say it wasn't one of these because I, I think it's one of the biggest deterrents for an entrepreneur, especially someone starting out. As you hear all these success stories. And you hear the success stories. I recently listened to one of your podcasts with them. Uh, is it Sam from Sunday? Sunday? Naked Sundays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Naked Sundays, exactly. And I was, I was, I really enjoyed that because I was nodding along. She was so real, and she's an example of someone who has had incredible financial success, incredible numbers. But it doesn't always turn out like this, you know. So you have to be ready to celebrate whatever success you get, and then grow from that, and not cross compare because it can be really. Um, debilitating when you hear like oh we had like 10,000 emails overnight or we launched with like you know half a million Instagram followers it's most likely not going to happen like that for you so our launch was um, a great success it wasn't like hundreds of thousands but it's still within the first day I was like screenshotting all the sales coming through and it was just incredible and I think our first 
our first like non um non kind of in our network sale came from someone in nevada in america and you're just like how where what it's just so surreal so it was a great success we didn't hit a hundred thousand in, in, in our first month like <laughs> sam did but it was a great success yeah definitely i think that is the most important thing is having those connections and and like you mentioned it's not going to be overnight success but it still inspires so many people to know that you can have an idea you can put it through the manufacturing process you can actually hold your product fall to the ground like you did and just be overwhelmed with happiness. So I, I think that's definitely a learning um, to come out of this and interviewing all of the amazing successes that we do have through the Start and Scale program that we do run. Um, but you mentioned after, you know, that person in Nevada ordered. After that, you had some regular, um, you know, orders coming in. How did it feel when you first got your reviews back and feedback from people that you didn't know using your products? It was, um, it was amazing. That was probably, I'd say one of my favorite moments actually, because having the product was like, it was incredible, but like having the product in my idea is as good as having the idea in the first place. Like having the idea is the easy part, getting the product is the kind of, it definitely wasn't easy, but you know, the most important thing was then like, well, what do people think about it? And so from the start review, having reviews set up on the website and having like an automated email that was sent out two weeks after the purchase to get that feedback, it was critical and it will continue to be critical to our product development and our developing our marketing message. And, um, and so when we started getting the reviews and it was basically confirming all of my intentions for the product, which was just amazing. So we were answering, I, I mean, I tested so many different sunscreens and one of the things that we actually did was we created a fragrance-free sunscreen and I used to hate fragrance-free products. My idea with it, with that aspect of it was we want people to be using SPF every day. And unless you're using a, like fragrances, really, that's probably another one of the most challenging parts of the product development because it's, it's really, yeah, it's really complicated um, with allergens and, you know, anyway, labeling and whatnot. Um, and the fragrance free means that you can wear it every day and not smell like you're going to the beach. That was kind of my thinking. So a lot of people were coming back and giving really positive feedback about that, about, yeah, the non-whitening factor with the zinc oxide. And yeah, so it was, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the process, I'd say. <laughs> I'm sure it was very encouraging to read all of that, you know, affirmations of what you thought the brand could be. And now it's finally coming to reality would just be I can't even imagine it's such a surreal feeling. So um, yeah. I commend you on doing all the things that you set out to do because I read some of the reviews and they're really, really great. And I'm sure they'll continue to just trickle in. And Thank from you. an ads perspective, I feel like using those reviews would be somewhat of an advantage to you. Have you been implementing that sort of tactic within your Facebook ads or any other ads that you've been running for your business? So we actually haven't ran any ads yet, um, which was interesting because that's where I, I came from. But I kind of I wanted to see what the organic response was before we started putting budget into it. I wanted to see what the community that had um, been supporting us for the year up to the point of launching the product. I wanted to see how much of that community was going to kind of come back in and, you know, and actually buy the product. So we haven't actually launched ads yet, but we've been using the reviews during in our Instagram marketing and in our email marketing as well. Um, and yeah, we're definitely going to, we're about to launch our first set of ads, actually um, our first campaigns this week. Um, so we'll be using the reviews for that for sure. 
That's so exciting. I can't wait to see the success of the back of the ads because your organic reach and your uh, revenue and your sales and everything like that has been so amazing so far. But where do you feel like Palm and Pine skincare will be going in the future? I feel like your name kind of alludes to more of a skincare aspect, but I won't put won't put words in your mouth. But where do you think that, <laughs> you know, you're kind of heading in the next three to six months besides the boho idea and things like that? I think, well, firstly, we want to, um, we've got some product development we'd like to do. We've got some, um, because again, we had to match the product to the packaging. So there's a couple of tweaks we want to make to that. Um, But the biggest thing is we want to launch a third SKU. I think we're probably going to launch um, an after sun product because obviously it's the perfect complementary product to the SPF 30. So we'll have the three kind of core products. Um, And then we'd like to launch maybe kind of like a daily moisturizer with SPF 15 into it. So it's going to be centered around UV protection. We actually were called Palm and Pine Sun Care before, but we changed that because we wanted to give us give ourselves the opportunity to not lock ourselves into just being sun care. So if we did want to diversify out, then it meant that skincare was more representative, as you said, of you know more kind of skincare products. So, um, but that's the kind of the near future is going to be the after sun and then maybe a less a lower SPF 15 daily product and product as well. How exciting. I can't wait to see them come to life and see all your customers using them and working towards wrapping up. And the question that you've noticed in podcasts before is if anyone's listening to this and thinking about starting a business, whether it's in an industry that's kind of hard to break into like sunscreen or something completely opposite or different, what advice would you give to them about, you know, just starting? I've said this before. I think it has to come from you. It has to start with you because the idea is the easy part and it's the sexy part. It's the bit that lures us in and think it's going to be easy, but it has to start from like you. What do you want with your lifestyle? What do you, and why do you want to do it? Because it's you that's got to show up every day. And I, I was engaging in a conversation recently about this with other entrepreneurs. And the number one thing people don't talk about enough is stamina. You really do need stamina and you really do need to find a way to navigate your way through the highs and the lows because um yeah it's 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 exhausting <laughs> so so i really kind of tap into that why are you doing it and if you if it matches your lifestyle if it's if it's if it's something you're passionate about it's something that you imagine being able to do when it's the worst version of what you're doing then then go for it you know but i think starting from you is, is the most important thing because if you know that you truly want it you will be able to then find the answers keep moving through keep navigating all of those hurdles that you're going to come up against and and also and again this is back to something sam said as well which is everything is going to take so much longer than you thought and you think and it's going to cost more than you think too so be really mindful of that when you're planning your timing and planning your budget because you're going to need cash randomly you're going to need to buy some time randomly and especially in the world we live in right now where supply chains are still impacted with covid if you're right now thinking about doing something add even more contingency, more timing onto that because we're still experiencing delays, unfortunately, with that. But um, go for it. (laughs) All that aside, go for it. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And like you said, you know, ideas can come easy, but it's execution that can be a little bit more tricky and a little bit harder. So I definitely think that all of your, your advice will inspire so many people listening. And I wanted to thank you, Sarah, for sitting down with me so early in your time zone to chat about <laughs> your brand. And I can't wait to sit down with you, hopefully in the future again, to see where you are in the future. Thanks very much for having me, Molly. Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want to access the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com or head to the link in the show notes.